Okay, thanks for having me again. It's kind of a treat that y'all would invite me back. Um, Okay, so we're going to be talking about John chapter 9, and I wanted to start with verse 39, because I think it's going to kind of help, like, frame my talk and where it's going. Um, So verse 39 reads, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Um, so just kind of presenting um, these two, two men, two sides. Um, and I wanted to start with this because I'm mainly going to be comparing and contrasting the blind man and the Pharisees. Um, and so I picked 39 because it, preve- it presents those who are given sight and those who have become blind. So the blind man given sight and the Pharisees become blind. Um, And I think it also kind of harkens back to John 1 when he's talking about light and dark. Um, In verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So just this idea of the followers of Jesus, and Jesus are the light. And then um, those who are rejecting Jesus are the darkness and following in the darkness. Um, And I think it's just important to kind of start there, too, because we can kind of feel the tension heating up a little bit in John. And so it just reminds us, too, of the divisiveness of Jesus and that how Jesus coming into the world, those who aren't going to follow him will be offended by him and they're going to be threatened by him and um, they're going to act on this fear. Um, so, in a, just a reminder in our lives that um, when we're living, we're either living for Jesus or we're not. Um, and that's kind of the dichotomy that we see in the passage. So, um, I'm going to start with the blind man and then we'll move to the Pharisees and kind of talk about, um, even end up kind of talking about the, like, what's false in their thinking, but how also we see that in our own lives. And then... Um, what Jesus has to say about who he is and ultimately who God is and how um, that can inform the way that we live daily. Um, Okay, so looking at the blind man, uh, if we just look at the way that he's described by others, he's called um, a beggar, he's blind from birth, and he's born in Ederson. So, um, And it's important that we're looking at the passage, and it's not just the Pharisees that are saying this about this man, that also Jesus' disciples are kind of associating these things with him. Um, Because in verse 2, they ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they're associating his blindness with someone's sin, either his sin or his parents. So from that, we can kind of deduce that this blind man is not going to be seen as righteous. That, And it's not just the Pharisees. It's going to be kind of the culture that they're looking at him and, see, and just going to be thinking of him as unrighteous. And not it wouldn't be a stretch to call him a sinner because of those qualities. Um, so that's what we're kind of getting from what others are saying about him. But then it's also helpful to look at how he reacts to Jesus and how that tells us about his character. Um, So in verse 33, he says, um, 
He says about Jesus, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he's already, this blind man who's unrighteous and he's a beggar and a sinner, he's already associating Jesus with God, which is something that the Pharisees are refusing to do. Um, And we're kind of seeing his progression, which I'll um, touch back on later. But um, in verse 17, he calls um, him a prophet. He calls Jesus a prophet. And then um, by the end of the passage, we see him confessing Jesus as Lord. So just kind of that progression um, into believing fully in Jesus. And also, I think verse 27 is pretty powerful, too, um, because he says he's responding to the Pharisees, and he says, do you also want to become his disciples? So that also is kind of, he's saying he's not afraid to be associated with this man who's healed him. He's not afraid to say that this man's healed me. And that's pretty powerful when we're considering um, the Pharisees and um, how they're already creating this fear among the people that if you're associating with Jesus, that you will be cast out and we don't want any part of you. And so I was also thinking about it in terms of how he's just kind of been given a whole new life, like he's been given sight. And so that could change his life in a lot of ways, but yet he's still he's still choosing to associate with Jesus which is probably going to mean that a lot of those doors are going to close that would otherwise be open. Um, so it's pretty powerful that he's, he's not afraid to be honest, but also kind of risking. You see him, um, that there, you see that there's a cost. And we see that in our lives too, in following Jesus, that there's a cost. Um, and so then um, we, to kind of like summarize, um, we're seeing that the ultimately that this blind man is needy. And so that is going to be contrasted with the Pharisees who we're not seeing their need and they, they're not showing their need. Um, but this blind man who's, who's just assumed to be unrighteous versus the Pharisees who are, who are projecting righteousness and thinking that they're righteous but and what's beautiful about that need is that is what connects him to Jesus. Um, so it's because he has that need that um, Jesus is going to heal him. Um, so I think it's good for us to kind of sit in that for a little bit and for us to know that when we know our own sin, when we know our own weakness, that reminds us of our need and how deeply rooted our sin is from birth, kind of how the the passage talks about he's blind from birth, Um, but that it's deeply rooted, but that's because we have a deep need of Jesus, that it's deeply rooted in us. Um, And otherwise, if we are not seeing that need, then we're not going to see the need of merciful healing in Jesus. So I think it's just important to not forget who Jesus is healing in the passage. And he's healing the one who's needy, um, who's needy and called a beggar and who's blind. Um, so I, um, for one of my classes in 
at school, we had to, for our final project, we had to handwrite our entire life story and then, and like answer some questions. And then we had to read it out loud to someone that we trusted and who could like receive our story appropriately, like react appropriately to it. Um, and then kind of ask us like how it made us feel to do that, like how we view our story now. And so, um, I wrote out my whole story and it took a long time actually. Um, and I was just going to read it to my husband. And when we sat down to the table to read it, it was so hard, which is silly. Cause he, I mean, I think he knows pretty much everything about me. Um, everything that a person knows about me. And yeah, it was hard to kind of read over. Like my story is just, it just has need all over it. <laughs> like how in desperate need of a savior I am and still am how I was and still am. And just, and I think in this, the sins in my life too, like um, how they're also pointing to my need of Jesus. And so it's just, just part of, I guess, human nature, but I don't want to be the blind man. I don't want to be the beggar, but I am. And it's so good that I am because Jesus is so good. Um, but sometimes it's really hard to sit in the need and to be the one that's needy. Like, I kind of want to be the one that has the story like all wrapped up, you know, and the story that's like, well, this is how I was. And I've like moved on from that, but how sin, there's still sin in my life. And, um, I'm still struggling deeply with it. It looks maybe different than it did when I was in high school, but it's still deeply rooted in me. And I'm still, Jesus is still at work in making me whole. So, um, just, just don't lose that thought that Jesus came for the needy. Um, okay. So let's move on to the Pharisees. So we see that the Pharisees are the opposite of needy. Um, in, uh, verse 14, okay, I really love how John kind of like slips this verse in there when he starts talking about the Pharisees and he's like, oh, by the way, this happened on the Sabbath, <laughs> which is like, I, you know, he's just kind of saying like, this is just an, like more fuel for their unrighteous fire that they're going to use. Um, because the Pharisees are ultimately putting, they're using the law to like boost their own self-righteousness and they're just putting the law above the one who gave them the law. Um, and, and it's showing that they're ultimately missing the point <laughs> that this man's blindness was healed, but the Pharisees aren't sitting in that. They're sitting in looking for ways that Jesus is unrighteous. Um, and so we also see their own self-righteousness in verse 29 and 28 when um, they're speaking about being disciples of Moses. So it's kind of like this us them mentality and saying we're we're associated with Moses and you're associated with Jesus who is unrighteous and you're his disciple. But yeah, we're disciples of Moses. So kind of proclaiming themselves as righteous, but um but Jesus is the sinner and who's unrighteous. Um, and, I, and also in verse 34, we kind of see how they are declaring themselves righteous and the blind man unrighteous when they say, you're born in utter sin. 
Um, so just kind of this idea of like you've come from sin and we're like we're it's not saying you've, you're born in utter sin like the rest of us. It's like you were born in utter sin. Um, so, and then also just that um, they don't believe. So verse 18, they don't believe that this actually happened to this blind man, that they're kind of looking for ways to disprove it. Um, and ultimately that they're refusing to believe the good works of Jesus. So again, just missing the bigger picture and then we also see in verse 22 about the, um, the synagogues, that little aside that John has um, about how if someone's conf- confessing Jesus, or Jesus to be the Christ, that then they'll get cast out of the synagogues. So um, seeing their unbelief and their hatred there. And then in verse 24, um, we see how they... Uh, how they want um, the blind man to confess um, that Jesus is a sinner, and they say, give glory to God, um, so that their hearts are hardened towards Jesus. Um, So just in summary about the Pharisees, they don't listen. They don't care about the healing that's happened. Um, they think that they're that they're righteous and then they don't have a need and certainly don't want any healing or help from Jesus. So just remembering who Jesus came for in this passage. And I think it also points us back to John 1 when in the introduction. Um, in verse 11, he says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So that the Pharisees are rejecting him. And yet this man, who's a sinner, and who, assuming that he doesn't have the same kind of religious background as the Pharisees, he is the one who accepts Jesus. So I think it's really easy to paint the Pharisees in this light of like, oh, they're just bad, they're just evil. Um, But I... Um, but it's good to look at their fear and to look at their heart and what it's really saying about what they believe. So we see that the Pharisees have the wrong fear. They're not fearing God and they're not fearing Jesus. They're fearing the law above the lawgiver, or rather what they've made the law to be. Um, and they're fearing their own righteousness above Jesus. So these Pharisees are consumed with earning and merit, and they'll hear no talk of grace. And then in John chapter 5, Jesus addresses them and says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. So, and I think it's also just reminding us too that the law was given to point us towards God, not to point us away from God, which is what the Pharisees are using it for. And a reminder too that Jesus coming is the fulfillment of scripture. And if we're not reading that in the Old Testament, that like the Jesus storybook Bible says that all of scripture whispers his name, if we're not seeing that in the Old Testament, um, that we're not truly understanding understanding scripture and not truly understanding who God is. Um, so they don't they don't have a fear of God. It's almost I think you can um, kind of deduce from it a fear of a man made God. So kind of a fear of man because it's not it's not the God of the Bible. Um, 
But what does it say about the Pharisees' heart that they've kind of constructed this this man-made God? And this is my favorite part, and it's really because Darwin kind of told me about this. Um, But I just thought it was so insightful. And he was saying that we see their hearts don't believe Jesus because they don't believe he's anything like the God that they worship. So the Pharisees don't recognize Jesus because they don't believe God is merciful. The Pharisees believe in a God that they've made that is satisfied only by following the law and merit. They don't think that Christ would look like Jesus because they believe God loves the righteous and those who make the law their master above everyone else. But Jesus comes in and he's healing a blind man on the Sabbath and claiming the authority of God. And for them, that was totally blasphemous. They saw Jesus as violating the law and having mercy on the unrighteous, those who are born in utter sin. Um, And these are not the things that they expected from God. So really, it's sad. It's a tragedy that they are blind to the kind, merciful, loving God that we have and that could save them because they're holding fast to their rules and their laws and the God that they've created. So this says something about our hearts, too, because we're not that different. It's a good question to ask yourself where in your life Are you not believing our God is a God of mercy? Because that mercy overflows, making you know his goodness and kindness. And it overflows in you, which means that you should overflow in goodness and kindness. If we don't believe God to be merciful, we won't live that out in our relationships with each other. We'll look to our relationships to never cause us pain. We need them to be perfect. Otherwise, we're angry or mad or upset. We don't operate on God's grace and mercy because we have no grace and mercy to give. So before I move on, um, I'm like the chief offender of this. Like I totally struggle with jealousy. It's like one of my main sins and it's hard. And I think like it gets heightened like in women's settings Um. I have this fear of women's ministry and women's retreats because I need them to be perfect. And I forget God's mercy. And if I get the slightest feeling of being hurt or left out, I'm devastated. And I don't want to give mercy and I don't want to forgive. I just want to avoid. Last weekend, um, Brian was talking about how isolation is can come from that fear of man because we're so afraid of what of how we could be rejected that we don't want to be a part of things um but that's where my operational theology so the the way that i'm living my day-to-day life isn't matching up with my actual theology which is what i believe about god because if god is merciful then i have an abundance of grace and mercy for all of my relationships my life should be lived in light of believing God's mercy. And no longer do women's ministry events, retreats, have to be perfect. They can just be a group of sinners gathering together to love God and love each other. Um, But I know that we're not all the same. So maybe the question for you isn't about 
if you believe God's mercy, but it's do you believe for some reason you've been excluded from his mercy? So much like my struggle, it's also we're ultimately going back to our own righteousness, and we kind of can veil that in humility, but there's pride in our humility. And this isn't what the passage is telling us about Jesus. And it's also um, not true that God's mercy is for others and not for you. Because if that's true, then we're making God's mercy limited and we're making it small. But we know that it abundantly flows. So we have to believe that in the way we live it out. So this just kind of moves into the final point, and then you guys can go home and think about Thanksgiving. Um, But thinking about what this passage tells us about Jesus. So Jesus comes to this man who is blind, and he's an outcast. And he comes to us in the same way, because we're needy and we need healing. But Jesus is the one who can do that. In You can't have too much need for Jesus. And in fact, maybe I should just say myself, because I know it's true of me, that I need to feel my need for him more often. (laughs) That I need to be reminded that I am needy, and it's that's who I am in Christ, and that is good, and it's beautiful, because he can satisfy that. Um, But it's also, what's also beautiful about this miracle and this sign is how personal it is that Jesus doesn't have to touch the blind man. He doesn't have to kind of follow up with him and give him eternal life. Um, but that is such a picture of, God, of Jesus' relationship with us, that it is personal and that he knows us intimately. And um, he kind of knows how to gently speak to us and walk alongside us. Um, And it also shows that he gives new life. So the passage isn't just that this blind man has sight. (laughs) It's that he's given eternal life. And that is true of us, too, that that we have new life in him. Um, And so because of that new life, we know that we no longer have to be slaves to sin. Um, In Romans 6, 6, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So just that we we can actually live in the freedom of Jesus, which means that real change is possible. And it means that we don't have to think of our sin and think like, well, it's just a part of who I am. It's how I was made. And kind of move on, but that there can be a deep, real change in us that we don't have to continue in our sin patterns. Um, And I think we can also kind of see the way that God works in this passage through the blind man in his kind of progression in faith um, and how that's our story too, that... um, When Jesus gives us eternal life, it doesn't mean that here on earth we no longer battle sin, we no longer deal with sin, but that it's a progression that we grow more and more towards God. Um, So we see how he's granted sight, 
Um, but then it's a progression. The rest of his life will be a progression towards Jesus. And this is ultimately pointing to when the progression is over, when the kingdom comes and when we will all see and be as we should. Um, and so the, the work of Jesus will be complete. Um, and so if we just kind of look at verse 4, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So Jesus is kind of foreshadowing his death on the cross when he's talking about night. But he's saying um, that it's still day, that um, there are still these works that need to be done. And again, just pointing towards the kingdom and pointing um, towards a day when the work will be complete and we will be complete. So what's beautiful about this sign and or this miracle in John 9 is that it kind of has that um, double nature about it, that the man, it's not just that the man's given sight, but eternal life. And so we're given the same thing. Um, Jesus came to usher in the beginning of the kingdom, and the day is coming when we will see as we should. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of the end. Um, But I'm just going to pray for us really quickly before you guys leave. Um, Lord, thank you that you are God who um, came into our world, Lord, and that you that you came for the needy. Um, and thank you that it's okay to be needy and it's okay to kind of be a mess in that. And I pray that you would help us to not be afraid of that, Lord, um, but that we would get to delight more in who you are in that. And I pray that you would help to stir our hearts, that we would just love you more and that we would um, find your mercy and your goodness so wonderful and overwhelming um, that it would affect every part of our life. And I just pray that you'd be with us um, in the holidays. It's probably the hardest time um, to live all of this out. But we know that you're good and true um, and that you can equip us to do that. So just thank you for this time to study, and I pray that you would go with us um, the rest of the day. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.